Okay, before I get started with the, uh, the sermon part of the sermon, I wanted to thank all of you that helped out when Aaron was in the hospital last month. There are plenty of you that sent cards, uh, provided food, offered to help out with Bree, came and visited uh, in the hospital at our home. Uh, thanks to all of you that helped out in that way. We appreciate that immensely, and it was great to see you guys uh, be the body of Christ in our hour of need. And thanks especially to, uh, to one family that would rather not be named. I'm sure that uh, even took Brianna overnight and took her to school in the morning. We appreciate that a lot, and I'm definitely not looking towards that corner for no reason in particular. All right, uh, I was going to start with prayer, but uh, Mike prayed twice already this morning, so we've... let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that you have promised to bless the preaching of your word. I pray that your word would go out this morning and that I would not get in the way of what you would have uh, this people hear from you today. It's in your great name we pray. Amen. All right, Acts 17. Let's go. Grab a Bible from the side tables. If you don't already have one, if you see somebody close by that doesn't have a Bible, get a Bible off the side table and provide it to them. If you're a guest with us this morning, let me uh, fill you in where we are. We've been searching for a senior minister for the last year now. So in that time period, we've had a steady stream of one-time guest preachers. Uh, Some of them have been really, really good. Some of them... uh, God has hopefully blessed them in other ways that they can serve the church because the preaching wasn't happening. Um, it's been some folks from inside the church and some folks from outside the church. We've had preachers from uh, other local churches. We've had missionaries. We've had uh, you know, somebody's friends or relative. And um, some of them have been strangers. And so when you get a stranger up here in the pulpit and we're giving our attention to them for 25, 30 minutes, uh, there's a real need for discerning ears. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. When it comes to a guest preacher or an official candidate, eventually one of these days we're going to have a candidate in here, Lord willing, to present as our next senior minister. And he'll give a couple of sermons, and uh, that'll be another opportunity to listen with discerning ears. Um, and that's the thought that we're going to cover this morning, that listening to a sermon is spiritually challenging. Listening to a sermon or even teaching on the radio or uh, something you read in the Christian bookstore, or even listening to Christian music, is spiritually challenging. And you may be wondering whether I'm meaning that as like spiritually challenging, as in it's, it's hard work, because maybe you're not really interested in doing hard work this morning, maybe. Or maybe I mean it's spiritually challenging and that you should feel, uh, you know, poked and prodded by the Holy Spirit into doing something or having some sort of application. I phrase it that way on purpose so that it would have a double meaning, and we'll see why in Acts 17. We've been going through the book of James during my chances to preach, and last month we spent two weeks looking at chapter one, Wisdom from God. We'll do two more weeks of application before we press on in James, focusing on the application of wisdom in the church, specifically this church. This section of Acts 13 through 21 is a travel log, focusing on the Apostle Paul as he takes uh, the gospel beyond the ethnic and religious and uh, geographical boundaries of historic Judaism out into the Greek-speaking world. Chapter 17 focuses on a, a sequence of three cities. Paul has moved out of Turkey, out of Asia, into what we call Europe now, and is moving south through modern-day Greece, what is now modern-day Greece. It wasn't modern-day Greece at the time. And he'll hit Thessalonica, Berea, and Athens. Paul was a highly educated, well-respected, elite 
rabbi. And when a guy like Paul rolled into town, he was given the platform. He was given the opportunity to address the people of the synagogue. And uh, it's sort of in the same way that if uh, a Rick Warren or a John Piper or Franklin Graham came to town, we would definitely invite them to, to preach here at Prairie View if they wanted to. So let's pick up in verse 2 of chapter 17 of Acts. And Paul went in, as was his custom, to the synagogue, And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Two areas that he had to cover. First, he had to talk about what the Messiah was going to do. They were expecting a Messiah who was going to come and rule and reign and establish justice. And he had to say, before that happens, he had to come and suffer, and be killed, and die, and then rise again. That was one area, the work that the Messiah was going to do. And the second thing was, he was saying that this guy Jesus from Nazareth, he did that. You know, 20 years ago, he did that. He's the guy that we've been waiting for. He is the Messiah. This is the work he's going to do, and this was the person that did it. The person and work of Jesus. The person and work of the Messiah. You've probably heard me talk about the person and work of Christ before. That's not by accident. We see that right here in this book. It is the message of this book. Continue. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. So we see that a large number of key and influential people believed, not just Jews, but Greeks as well. Not just the guys, but ladies as well. That would have been uh, completely scandalous to the, um, the contemporary culture and the audience to which this was addressed. Continue. Verse 5. But the Jews were jealous. Stop. Need to make it very clear. Unfortunate that this is necessary. When the Bible talks about the Jews, it's always talking about the local religious establishment. I'm not going to make any blanket statements about people as an ethnic group across time, across space. When we talk about the Jews in the Bible, it's always the local religious establishment. In this case, the leaders of the synagogue. Is that clear? Nod your heads with me if that's clear. There is no mandate in Scripture for anti-Semitism of any kind. On the contrary. Okay, so, Jews got jealous, things went bad in Thessalonica, Paul got run out of town, and uh, he pressed on towards Berea. He wrote back to the Thessalonians uh, right away. Uh, First Thessalonians is that letter. As soon as he got run out of town, he sent a letter back, and the content of that letter is, I love you guys, it was great to be with you, I miss you, I want to be back with you, it was so good to share the gospel with you, and see how that took root in your lives. Verse 10 onto Berea. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They examined the scriptures to see if these things were so. What things? Verse 11, they received the word. What word is that? It's the same word from back in Thessalonica in verse 3, the person and work of the Messiah. Sorry, I lost my place. The key idea is that they received it with eagerness and they examined the word to verify it, and therefore they believed. Listening to a sermon is spiritually challenging because there is a burden upon the listening audience 
to verify the truthfulness and the rightness of what is being said. And to be sure, the greater burden is on me, the preacher, to make sure that I'm doing my job right and rightly handling the word of truth. Not many of you should become teachers, for we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Whoever causes one of these little ones to sin, it would be better for him to have a millstone fastened around his neck and be thrown into the depths of the sea. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. That was James and Jesus and Paul. Aaron reminded me that folks may or may not know what a millstone is. That's, that's a millstone. Uh, back in the time, people would grind their own grain, and you would have a large, two large stones. One of them would be flat and fixed on the ground. The other would be large and flat and would rotate above it. And by pushing the upper stone around and round, the, the friction and the pressure and the grinding would turn dried grain, which you can't do much with, into flour, which is actually useful for the human diet. And... Um, Massive, massive stones. This particular millstone is in Spring Mill State Park. At Spring Mill, there is a mill where they have millstones, and they grind grain there, just like they did for uh, hundreds of years in the pioneer days and back here in the biblical era. Now, I grew up in New Jersey, and one of the things that we learned in elementary school is that if you want to bury a body at sea, you really only need a cinder block, maybe two. A millstone is completely ridiculous. Jesus is being intentionally over the top when he's saying, tie a millstone around the neck and be thrown into the sea. It is a stern warning about... I asked Aaron to find me pictures of millstones, and and, uh, she did that and more. It's a stern warning from Jesus about how serious it is to not lead people astray, as can easily happen from the pulpit. But preaching isn't just a one-side activity. There's a burden on me, but there's also a burden on the, the listeners to, uh, to make sure that I'm, I'm doing my work correctly. That's one of the reasons I asked you to grab a Bible off the side tables, and I see that some of them disappeared. That's good. I want you to have your Bible open for your safety and for mine as well. Okay, so if it's so potentially dangerous to do preaching and teaching, why do we bother? Why do we run the risk? Why has the church always included a time like this in their corporate worship services where everybody focuses their attention on one person and they listen? What's supposed to be happening during that time? What's the speaker supposed to be doing? What's the congregation supposed to be doing? How can we make the most of this time? Preaching and teaching are different words They mean different things. Teaching is the one that's easier to understand. Um, It means to teach, to relay information that's new to the hearer in a useful and relevant way. That's what it means today, and that's what it means in the scriptures. Preaching is a word that's got some different definitions and is shifting in our day. Um, Today, you hear about somebody preaching, and you don't know whether somebody's talking about, uh, you know, somebody... um, hectoring and haranguing somebody, you know, Papa don't preach, that kind of thing, preaching at somebody in a real negative way, or whether it's just holding forth on a religious topic. And hopefully I'm doing the second and not the first. But originally, the word preach meant to herald, to be the announcer of news. Hear ye, hear ye, thus says the king, so let it be written, so let it be done, the town crier. That's what a preacher is somebody who goes out carrying a message and heralding that message to people that need to hear it. And the message, the message that the Christian preacher carries is 
the gospel. When we talk about preaching the gospel, we mean being a herald of the good news that we can be reconciled to God through Christ alone, by God's grace alone, that happens through faith alone, and that is all for the sole glory of God. That's the message that the preacher is to be heralding. And there's some very clear boundaries on the activity of the herald. Deliver the message. Deliver the message on time. Deliver the message clearly and accurately. When the mailman takes your Christmas cards, he doesn't have the right to change what you've written. The message has to be delivered faithfully and without distortion. Likewise, the Christian preacher has to preach the gospel faithfully and clearly without distortion. Listen to the seriousness of these instructions that Paul gave to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Serious stuff. So Timothy better listen, right? I charge you preach the word. Earlier in that same book, he'd said to rightly handle the word of truth. So there's very clear instructions what preachers are to do, and we know why they're supposed to do it. All church leadership is about edifying God's people, building them up, feeding them, nourishing them. It's clear what we're supposed to do. It's clear why we're supposed to do it. But within those parameters, there's a lot of flexibility on the how. We can preach long or we can preach short. I can be very professorly and didactic or it can be real uh, relational and conversational. We can get Tom's coffee table back up here that he loves so much and it's been put in exile. And I know, I know. And uh, there's, a, there's a lot of different ways that we can do preaching. We can preach verse by verse through the Bible or we can have topics that we address. And we've done both of those here at Prairie View. But always it must be the word. God has given us 66 books that form one Bible. And yet sometimes preachers get the notion that what people really need to hear is their own thoughts, not what's in the Word. And folks, I hope you know better than to come and listen to what I have to say out of my own head. You should be asking yourself, is that that just his opinion? Is that Josh's opinion? Because he does love his own opinion. Or is it actually in the Bible? So, how can you benefit from the preaching that you hear and grow up in maturity in Christ? In a given year, if you make it to church 50 times, which would be pretty much complete attendance, and you listen to uh, 25, 30-minute sermons, then you're probably going to get about 20 to 25 hours worth of preaching in any given year. As Carl said last week, that's not really enough for the growing Christian meeting their spiritual dietary needs. That's why we talk about personal time in the Word, personal time with God, getting in a small group, and uh, there's a you know, sermon podcast on iTunes, a great resource for us. But for those 20, 25 hours that we do get, how do we make the most out of that time? How do we uh, get our money's worth out of that? I'm going to give you a few applications this morning about how to listen to a sermon. Two practical points that will be really quick, and then three spiritual points, some of which will be quick and one of which will be um, long. And we will end again in Acts 17. We will get to Athens. First, listen expectantly. You should come expecting to hear the word of God, which means you should come expecting to hear from God. God has promised to bless the preaching of his word. And I would encourage you, encourage you, take the time that's necessary to prepare to hear from God, to prepare to hear from him during the sermon in the word, and to prepare to engage him in worship. Our family, me personally, we've struggled with, with this. And what we've learned for us is that if we want to be in our seats at 10 o'clock, ready to worship, 
in order to get something from that experience and give God true worship. And if we want to be able to be ready at 1025 to hear a sermon, then the preparation for that starts Saturday in the middle of the day. I have to get my running and my showering done so that I'm ready for an early dinner so that our evening routine can start on time so that Brianna can get to bed on time so that she's well-rested and refreshed so that I can get to bed on time. Because if we don't get to bed on time, it's not going to be pretty on Sunday morning. We need to have enough time on Sunday morning to get up at a reasonable hour so we can get here and get our work done. For Erin, it means that her Saturdays have to be pretty low-key. She can't do much on a Saturday because she'll be worn out when it comes to Sunday morning. And that means that sometimes we can't do things that we want to do because the priority is to be here on Sunday morning to engage with God. Do what it takes to get your family here, ready to worship, on time, to hear God's word and engage with the speaker. That's not just something that I'm, I'm yelling at you to do. It's for your own good. If you roll in at 10.05 and you're not ready, you're going to waste your time. You're not going to be ready for a Sunday morning worship experience. Be here, be ready for for your own good and benefit. Second, practice active listening. This is a phrase that we picked up in in high school at Heritage Christian. All freshmen uh, coming out of middle school, getting ready for high school time, took a course called Study Skills. And um, I didn't learn a whole lot in study skills because there may or may not have been a redhead that sat three rows to my right that was a lot more worthy of my attention that year and every year. But uh, one thing I do remember from study skills is what we call active listening. Simple stuff that you're not going to know unless somebody tells you, but it's, it's easy. Make eye contact. Take notes. Sit up straight. Practice good posture. Stuff that makes it easier to listen. All right? Asking questions. Write down questions. Ask me later if there's something that I say that doesn't add up. Anticipate where the speaker is going. Listening is more than just hearing. It's an operation of the brain, not just the the ears. So, practicing active listening, coming prepared. Third, some spiritual points now. Consider how the speaker regards the scriptures. Are they just used as seasoning to... Uh, to, to, to sprinkle into the sermon? Are they only used to support some other thing that the preacher really actually wants to talk about and the scriptures are just used to, to make that happen? Is it viewed as uh, just God's little manual that he provided to us so that our lives go a little bit better? Or are the scriptures viewed as God's revelation to us about what himself? God has revealed himself to us in this book. This is his book that he gave us so that we can know what he wants us to know about him. The book is about him. It's not about us. The book is about God. Preachers sometimes get that backwards, and that leads to confused preaching and ineffective application. Fourth, and this is the big one, be listening for what the sermon says about Jesus. No preacher that gets cleared by Carl to preach here at Prairie View is ever going to say that they view Jesus as anything less than Lord and God and Savior, and it's up to us to 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 listen and discern whether uh, what they're doing matches uh, what they're saying. Although you can't even be sure of that on the radio and in the bookstore, unfortunately. Um, more commonly, unfortunately, we've we've seen it happen here. Is the guy comes up here and preaches a message and sort of views Jesus as the uh, the 800-pound gorilla in the room that he's applied, implied, and assumed, but he never really talk about him. And you certainly, even if you do mention his name, don't talk about who he is and what he did, the contents of the gospel. 
this will get your attention here, I'm sure. This is your warning that what I am saying here next isn't the opinion of the elder team, isn't official prayer view policy. It's just Joshua's opinion. My convictions from the word, um, just as an elder who loves you guys and thinks that this is something that's going to be helpful for you to hear. A true, good, faithful Christian sermon must begin and end with the cross. If the sermon wanders out of eyesight of Calvary, then it has gone astray. I know that could be easily misunderstood, and uh, um, I want to make clear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that every message should be purely evangelistic. I'm not saying that every sermon should end with an altar call. Not necessarily. I'm not saying there's no place for good teaching. If we want to sit down and figure out what's in Second Samuel, there's a time and a place for just good teaching about what's in Second Samuel. Okay, but if it's going to be Christian preaching on a Sunday morning, then it should be Christian and it should be preaching. That means whatever passage I preach, whatever message I deliver, whatever topic I'm assigned, I must root the message in the person and work of Christ and ultimately bring it back to the person and work of Christ. Part of the mission of this church is to teach the truth. And that comes from John 14:6, where Jesus identifies himself as the truth. So when we preach the truth, we are talking about Jesus. Last week, Carl preached on adventure racing. Okay? He's crazy. If you heard that sermon, then you know adventure racing. That's just really dumb. He's not here, so I can, I can say that. <laughs> His call schedule seems to mysteriously line up with when I, when I preach. But it was good Christian, unmistakably so. It was good Christian preaching. He didn't preach about adventure racing. He used adventure racing to talk about Jesus and our race of faith. Now, I'm not an expert on preaching. I've done this you know, just a dozen times. And I haven't been to college, Bible college. I've been to college. I didn't go to Bible college. And I haven't been to, to seminary. So let me substantiate what I'm saying by turning to some experts. And uh, perhaps these faithful servants of God will help me here. Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, quite a nickname. This is what he had to say. He lived, uh, what, 125, 150, 150 years ago in London. Leave Christ out? Oh, my brethren, better leave the pulpit out Altogether, Better we just skip preaching entirely than have preaching that isn't about Christ. If a man can preach one sermon without mentioning Christ's name in it, it ought to be his last. Certainly the last that any Christian ought to go to hear him preach. And just so nobody thinks they can uh, airdrop the name of Jesus into a sermon and it'll be fine, he says this. The motto of all true servants of God must be, we preach Christ and him crucified. That's from Paul out of Corinthians. A sermon without Christ in it is like a loaf of bread without any flour in it. No Christ in your sermon, sir? Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. What is bread without flour? It makes no sense. Bread is not, we don't view bread as an effective delivery vehicle for water, salt, milk, eggs, and yeast. Bread is how we get grain. Grain gets ground into flour. That's what bread is. Bread without flour is nothing. This was way before a gluten-free diet, okay? But even if you're going to have gluten-free bread, it's going to have flour of some kind in it. And what Spurgeon is saying is that a sermon without Christ in it, pointless and meaningless, or worse. If you think that couldn't ever happen, we have had here 
in the last year, a guy who came up here and he preached a perfectly fine message. Everything he had to say was good and right and accurate and adequately delivered, but he never talked about Jesus until the very last sentence of the sermon. What he said was good. I didn't have any problem with what he said. I had a problem with what he didn't say, what he didn't talk about, what he failed to cover. Why is it necessary to have the gospel of Jesus Christ in every sermon? Jay Adams said this, If you preach a sermon that would be acceptable to the member of a Jewish synagogue or a Unitarian congregation, we're not Unitarians here if you didn't get that, there is something radically wrong with it if it would be acceptable to either of those groups. Preaching, when truly Christian, is distinctive. And what makes it distinctive is the all-pervading presence of a saving and sanctifying Christ. Jesus Christ must be at the heart of every sermon you preach. This is just as true of edificational preaching as it is of evangelistic preaching. Let me unscramble those church words there. We are not fond of church words for the sake of, of big words. He distinguished between evangelistic preaching, which is preaching to the lost, like what Paul did a lot, what Billy Graham does, preaching to evangelize. And on the other hand, edificational preaching, preaching to edify, to enrich, to nourish those who believe. That's what I'm doing, and that's what most pastors do week in and week out. They are a pastor, a shepherd, a shepherd of a flock. The flock is those who believe, and their preaching is presenting the gospel in a way that edifies those who believe. This preaching on Sunday morning is meant for you who believe, not just for the lost who definitely need to hear the gospel, but for those of us who continue to need to hear the gospel, lest we forget that it is the foundation and the power of the new life in Christ. Colin Smith put it this way. Is this Christian? Would I be thrown out of a mosque or a synagogue for preaching this? If not, then, then something is amiss. I can easily imagine an objection forming in your mind. How can we ever have a relevant, useful sermon that we can apply a sermon about marriage or, or money or, or work or, or anything in the Old Testament if all we're supposed to talk about is Jesus and the cross. And I would like you to consider this, that you can have a good advice, how to live your life sermon, but if it's not given in light of the gospel, if you don't bring to bear what God is trying to accomplish in your life through the work of Christ on the cross, then you'll never view the problem correctly, and you'll never view the solutions correctly, and you won't get the advice that you need. Christ is the power of our new Christian life. There are keep the law, obey the rules, do better, try harder, clean up your act kind of sermons. You know, follow the law, keep, just do what it says, commit yourself to doing what it says. And too many of those sermons get the gospel completely upside down, as though something that we could do could make us right with God, could make God pleased with us, when in fact it's the work of Christ that makes it possible for us to, to obey the commands that he has given us and to live a life that pleases him. And there are sermons that are about love. The greatest of these is love. All you need is, is love. And those love sermons sometimes never get to truth, that sometimes the most loving thing you can do for a person or a congregation is to expose them to the scriptures and let the Holy Spirit convict them of sin in their life and bring them to a place of repentance and, and submission to God. Not just saying hard things for the sake of being obnoxious, letting the Word say the hard things 
exposing folks to the word. Sometimes it's the most loving thing that you can do. That brings us, that point, repentance, bringing people to repentance, brings us back to Acts 17. We left Paul in Berea where they examined the scriptures. Same thing happened there as happened in every city that Paul went to. He got run out of town um, and he uh, went on towards Athens, which is the ancient Athens that you may have heard about, the center of philosophy, the birthplace of Aristotle and uh, the Stoics and the Epicureans and all those folks. All they talked about, Luke said, all they did was talk about new ideas. So when Paul shows up there, true and living God is a complete stranger to these people. He started by establishing the authority of God over creation. If you're talking to somebody who just knows nothing about God in a church or anything, that's the good place to start. God's authority over creation. Not necessarily the how, not the when, the who. Who is responsible for creation? God. Now, look at verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has a fixed a day on he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead key points god overlooked he passed over days of ignorance but now now that Paul has informed these people, now that we know, God waited until the right time to reveal the mystery of Jesus on the cross, reconciling us to God. But now that we know more, now we're more accountable. I'm not saying you can avoid culpability by avoiding hearing, and, and you'll be fine if you just stay home. Romans 1 completely discredits that idea. But now that the Athenians, and now that you guys have been exposed to who God is, his authority over creation, his standards, his holiness, our sinfulness the way of redemption in Christ, there's a whole new dimension of accountability. Listening to a sermon is spiritually challenging because it requires a response. It's not enough simply to examine and verify what's being said. It has to be applied as well. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, verse 32, some mocked. Okay, that's not the right response. Others said, we will hear from you again on this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagites. Uh, the Areopagus was the place, the place where they did this, Mars Hill, the Areopagus. So Dionysius was a member of this crew. Dionysius, the Areopagite, believed, and a woman named Damaris and others with him. Okay, my personal application, I'll open myself up here. And as I was preparing this this week, God showed me something new something that I had not seen before, not connected the dots, that in verse 4 and in verse 12 and in verse 34, three cities, three movements of God, three new churches born, three movements of resistance and opposition, and yet each time Luke goes out of his way telling that story to say, look, on day one, there were women in the church. Why is that important? Why did God bring that to my attention? I don't know, but I've seen him do this before where he will tell me something, he will show me something, he will reveal something to me right before I need to know it. So that two days from now, two weeks from now, if and when I'm in a situation where I need this, I'll have it. When you put yourself under teaching and you're listening actively and you're prepared to engage and you're examining the scriptures and you're looking for Jesus to be glorified for who he is and what he's done, then it's the way God works that he will be 
showing you and telling you that next step that you need to take to pursue your walk with Christ. That's something we want to be doing here, actively pursuing our walk with Christ. And in that circumstance, it's the way God works. He will be telling you, bringing you something to mind specific, some way to respond. I don't know what the right response is going to be for you this morning. There may be somebody here that needs to make the first step of response to the message of the gospel and place their trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you've got questions about what it means to follow Christ, about what it takes, what the road is like, what you can expect, what's at the end of the road, is it worth it? If you have questions like that, I would be happy to answer those. We have plenty of elders here and Mike here and Scott that would be happy to answer those questions and talk with you and pray with you. And we've got a prayer room out the doors around the corner, right behind this cutout in the room. There is our new prayer room where you can go for prayer by yourself or prayer with an elder. Maybe you've been walking with Christ for some time and you just never got around to signing up for small groups. They started in the last week or two. Well, if that's something that you want to do, that's something you know you need to do, it's not too late for that. We can get you in a small group. We have space. There's groups that are open and are available. And it'll be a great time if you especially go to our Monday night group because it is awesome. Maybe, maybe you've been walking with Christ. You're in a small group. But you know that you need to know the word better. You know that you're not in the position to listen with discerning ears and examine the scriptures because the scriptures are still somewhat unfamiliar to you. You know, that's something, we can do something about that. None of us in here came into this world knowing anything about what was in this book. We all started from the same place of complete and total ignorance of God. Some people start early, learn quickly. Some people start late, learn slow. But every single one of us is capable of learning more about what God has told us in his word. I don't know what the application is for you. But I do know this. The word of God is living and active. This is backed up by the Holy Spirit. It is God's word. It's living and active, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have given us your word. I thank you that you have blessed this church with many different speakers, not just this past year, but through all 19 years. Thank you for the four pastors that we've had that have filled this pulpit week after week. Thank you for all the guests that we've had. Thank you that you have blessed this church and this community with good preachers that faithfully proclaim your word and that we can be reconciled to you through Jesus Christ alone. Thank you, as we've seen, that you make it possible for us to understand that, that you overcome the resistance of the flesh and the darkness of the mind that we are born in. Thank you that you overcome that and help us to see who you are and what you've done. Thank you for this time this morning when we've continued in that, and I pray that it will be useful and effective for the people that are here. It's in your great name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Would you all please stand as we sing our final song?